on the internet, just like that. It's magical. It sure is. Well, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm great. Awesome. Uh, so I'm glad that we, you know, have you here to talk to you today. Um, I know Richard Kaufman talked to you and he's a good friend of mine and he started the, the Drowning Warriors podcast. And, you know, I told him once that anybody that, you know, he thinks is worth talking to, I definitely want to as well. So, you know, I, I know that you know, you're doing great work and you're doing great things with SwimCom. And I wanted to get to know a little bit more about that. So uh, can you tell me a little bit more about what is SwimCom and what do you guys do? SwimCalm is a specially designed program to teach adults with profound fear of water how to swim. Okay. And we find that, first of all, it's epidemic, adults mm-hmm. with fear of water. And secondly, they come to me. The typical story is a grandmother who now has grandchildren, and she's not allowed to take care of the grandchildren because there's a pool in the backyard. And if something happened, she can't go in to save them. Uh, I also get a lot of people who say, you know, this has been on my bucket list. I had a really bad experience when I was a little kid. And it's amazing what one bad ocean undertow will do or one dunking, inappropriate dunking in a pool. It costs people decades of their lives. So I get a lot of sad stories, mad stories, glad stories, but nevertheless, they're happy to come to me. Nice. So what is the methodology that you use to take adults who are terrified to happy? Well, first of all, let the adult be in control of the class. Don't dictate. This is not a conventional teacher-student relationship. What I do is I take them through a series of skills very slowly at their pace and demystify the water and show them because the reason they can't swim is they're panicked when they get in the water. So how do we address the panic? We have to address the panic and get them to settle down internally and mentally. And we do that through a series of of exercises and skills. And uh, I am the facilitator. I don't call myself the teacher. I'm the facilitator. Very nice. Have you ever spoken to Madeline Dash? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Um, How would you, do you guys agree on some stuff? Do you disagree? Uh, we agree on a lot. Uh, I I have chosen to develop my own. I I, I know of her program, um, and I've just chosen to do some things differently, as as well as uh, make it affordable for the the average person. Okay, so how much does a lesson cost roughly? Well, I teach it as a course, and it's okay. a full six, sixteen hour course, um, and it's it's four hundred for sixteen hours. Okay, and I'm very, very lucky to have use of the city of Charleston pools. The city has been very kind to me in use of their pools. So while we don't have the entire pool at our disposal, we have a nice big chunk of it. And uh, by virtue of that, you know, I bring students in, we work, and um, we keep coming back for eight two-hour sessions. Very nice. Why, um, why that time length? Why eight two-hour sessions? Well, first of all, the two hour sessions go by much faster than most students would think because they're coming to me afraid, nervous. They don't know what's going to happen to them and they get in the water. And before they know it, two hours have gone by and they're saying, wow, I just never dreamed. But that's that's the time that's necessary to really get in the spirit of the game and have a chance to keep practicing these skills. You know, by the time with a conventional lesson, 30 minutes, you're in and out. You haven't had a chance to really settle in, adapt, and begin to learn. What? Uh, how long have you been doing this? Uh, since 2011. 2011. And what did you do before? Well, I still have multi-jobs. I mean, I'm very, very involved in aquatics. Um, 
I teach swim calm. I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with conventional swimming and a conventional little youth team. I'm also a swimmer myself, but by training and education, I'm a classical musician. So I'm okay. still playing in a, in a symphony orchestra. Oh, wow. Really cool. So what made you decide to get into doing these kinds of lessons? I saw the need and as a marathon swimmer myself, I mean, I've done most of the world's great swims. There was this very interesting dynamic of swimming at the very highest level in the most dangerous conditions, but yet turning my attention to the most vulnerable. And as I have often said, fearful swimmers are not underserved. They're not served at all. Yeah, I agree with that completely, you know, and and I think we talked about this a little bit previously, but I think there's a connection between, you know, fearful adults and children drowning. You know, obviously, yes, you know, if, if adults don't know how to swim, kids never do as well. That's right. And I have found because I talk to my students, I get to know them a little bit. And what I have found is they take two distinct courses. There are those who say, I grew up afraid and the water was a bad place, but my children, by golly, they're going to learn to swim and they're going to swim well. I have that mindset. And then I have, you know what? We don't go near the water. We have it for generations. But I'm really interested in this because I have a trip coming up to St. Croix and I want to get in the water. That makes a lot of sense, you know. And what do you typically see as your success rate? It's into the 90th percentile, 90 percent and above. And and again, that defines, you know, what is swimming? What what we often see are people who start, you know, the classical swim instructor, just move your legs and put your face in the water, blow some bubbles and you're going to be fine and just do this. And I see people thrashing through the water for 15 feet in sort of a, a hybrid of freestyle, the conventional freestyle. And then the instructor says, OK, great. You passed the test. You can swim now. That's not it at all. That person can't swim. In fact, in some cases, you've made that person more dangerous. So it's it's what is swimming? Define what is swimming. And to my definition, just hanging out at the pool and being able to float around and say, you know what? I want to very calmly swim over to the other side of the pool by whatever stroke or whatever method you want to. But if you can get across that pool, regardless of the depth, in a calm state of mind and come up and take a breath when you want to, therefore you are swimming. So how long, um, when did you start doing the, the marathon swimming? I've been in marathon swimming since the late 1990s. So oh, wow. 20, 21 years now. And what got you into that? I couldn't sprint. Okay. And so, you know, I, I moved to Charleston right out of graduate school and, <laughs> and assumed, bless you, and assumed Thank the uh, position with the symphony. And I was in the symphony for years and swam conventional meets and found that I, you know, I just wasn't happy doing that anymore. And, you know, I live right by the ocean, so I'd get in the ocean and swim, and I was much happier without the black lines, without the wall. I don't care about not being able to see the bottom. And from there, the distances got longer and longer, and the swims became more and more prestigious. Right. So what are some what are some of the ones you've done? Well, I've done the English Channel, because that's the one that everyone wants to know about. So um, I've, I've swum around Manhattan. I've done the English Channel, Tampa Bay, Catalina Channel, Santa Barbara Channel, Strait of Gibraltar. Long Island Sound, Lake Zurich, um, the Molokai Channel in Hawaii, but a lot, a lot of swims. Wow, that's so really I've cool. Done, you know, 15, 16 of the world's greatest swims. That's pretty awesome. Is there any left on the list? Oh, there are a few, but um, unfortunately in 2017, it was the year of bilateral rotator cuff surgery. Oh, from, yeah. Uh, 
you know, 40 years in an orchestra and, and 35 years ago in a swim practice or 40 years ago in swim practice. So, um, I took some time off, obviously, to have those surgeries and recover, but I'm, I'm ramping back up and I'm stronger than ever. That's awesome. So what do you play in the orchestra? Harp. Harp. Okay. I think there's one right over there. I, I see it. That's, yeah. that's, you, you know, you couldn't have picked a, a harder instrument, you know, just the harp. Really? You go, well, you think about this very static position that I have to stay in. Right. My, my upper body never got a rest for sure. all of the years. So now, you know, it's kind of come down. It's a, it's a little bit of a new chapter in life. And swim calm is the most gratifying work that I can do. And it's not terribly stressful on my shoulders. So did you know this is something you wanted to do growing up? I mean, was this the plan all along? Oh, no, no, no. I just knew that I loved the water. And, you know, when I was a little kid, I had announced to my family that I was going to grow up by the ocean where it was warm. You know, this is from a landlocked Pennsylvania. And by golly, if I didn't grow up and move next to the ocean where it's warm. And so you moved to the ocean. And then, you know, what were you doing at that time? Playing in the orchestra and just playing, you know, 20 weddings a month and things like that, just working really hard. But I always swam and I always competed. And then my world just started to change. Um, you know, all these years sitting in, a, in an orchestra, it gets dull playing the same repertoire after a while. And the nature of the work changed and the nature of the position, it was downgraded. So I had to augment with other things. And, uh, you know, swimming has always been a constant. And then, you know, I, I took some of this training with, with adults and said, this is truly what I want to do. Keeps me in the water. So makes me happy. What does it take to prepare to do something like swim the English Channel or around Manhattan? It takes a lot of flat out training. Uh, the two major obstacles that we have are A, just the distance and preparing for that and the water temperatures. It's very, very cold. So these are cold water swims. Uh, we have to prepare by virtue of training in cold water. And that's the hardest part. That's absolutely the hardest part is getting in that cold water. And especially living in the Southeast along the coast, it's hard to get that pole. So I would go out in the middle of the winter and go swimming out in the ocean in the middle of the winter because um, that was the best way to prepare. And then, you know, keeping a certain percentage of body fat. I mean, I've kind of leaned out a little bit now, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, marathon swimmers are not small people. Um, they called me the skinniest one that's ever, ever done these swims. And is that by design? I mean, usually I think swimmers, when I think of swimmers, I think of somebody kind of lean and, uh, you know, swimmer's body, if you will, you know. That's conventional pool swimming. Okay. But when you get to the world of marathon and you're subject to that cold water and the, the push and pull of the ocean or a lake or a river, um, and you're going to be in there for 12 to 24 hours. Wow. You need to be prepared. 12 to 24 hours. Is there any breaks? I mean, obviously it's a marathon. You just keep going the whole time, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, we do take feed breaks. I stop every 30 minutes for a feed, but it's not an opportunity to rest. Essentially what I'm doing is grabbing a feed bottle, chugging, oh, six to eight ounces of a very heavy carbohydrate type fluid, drop the bottle, continue on. So there is no, no rest. If you think about it, in cold water, you know, you'll get hypothermic. You stop swimming, your body begins to cool down, muscles begin to tighten up. And, and where, time. where are you carrying those bottles? Or is somebody that's you know, on with a you? support boat? That's on a support okay. boat or a kayak. Um, sometimes okay. I have a support boat, sometimes I have a kayak, and sometimes I have both. Okay. Just to make sure you don't I guess drown while you're out there? Well, they set the course. 
Okay. They set the course. And you have to keep in mind, this is not like triathlon where you've got a police officer at every intersection managing the traffic or, you know, barricades. We're in the wild, op wild open sea. So, you know, they're keeping an eye on what's going on around me, weather conditions, wind, marine life. Um, I mean, I've been more stung more times than I can count. Oh, geez. And that's that's just the name of the game. Uh, there's no I guess it doesn't matter what kind of suit you wear. Or, you know. No, we have to be legal. Yeah. So, again, the rules of the sport are very traditional. Um, one suit of a non-heat retaining material, one cap of a non-heat retaining. So that needs no neoprene, um, goggles, earplugs and grease. And that's it. That's right. And so that's not stopping a sting by any means. You know. Oh, sting, you just keep swimming right through. <laughs> so, you know, you talk about the cold. Uh, Bob Pratt, um, who's a good friend of mine, wanted me to ask you about controlling panic in cold water. Um, and he talks and he says that, uh, you know, in his experience, even good swimmers can get into trouble while falling into cold water. That's right. That's right. Because you hit that cold water and the first instinct is to tighten up and stop breathing. And so you have to continue, continue to breathe. Um, essentially, when I'm entering cold water, if I don't have to get my face and my head wet right away, then I don't, you know, sort of sort of do this and then ease into it. But experience, that's why the sport is not for the timid or the inexperienced. You have to be prepared to get out there. And what about regular people? You know, not necessarily people doing a marathon, but people who are already scared of the water or who panic into the cold water, you know, or someone, you know, regular person who gets into water they didn't expect to be in and they panic in cold water. What should those people do? I think that was like well, four questions. So sorry about that. That's that's okay. <laughs> um, again, remember, it's the same substance regardless of the temperature. You know, in swim calm, obviously I want the warmest water possible to take away that distraction from my students. Sure. But if somebody was to fall off a dock or fall out of a boat in the cold water, Again, realize it's the same stuff. It's going to stay. It's going to behave the same way. Float, come up, try to, to regulate your breathing or hold your breath. Just lie there. Try to regulate in, out, in, out. Don't allow that panic and that constriction to set in because that's when you tend to start dipping below the water a little bit. And then you can see it snowballs on itself. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and, you know, I know that there is a an instinctual response that kicks in when you hit cold water, you have that right. gas reflex and right. and right. If you can get into a calm state, start floating, you know, your odds for survival shoot up. I don't know what the stat is, but it's, it's a lot, you know, that's right. That's exactly right. So hang in there and uh, simply flip over on your back, breathe in, breathe out, or do a little bit of breaststroke. Um, and again, it's one of those things that I continually work on. As soon as the water, water temperatures start cooling off, that's when you'll see me out there in the open ocean in Charleston. So are you planning to resume back into doing the marathons? I, I want to. I want to touch that international level one more time. I'm, you know, my body has been weakened, but it's, it's coming back. But my mind, that's the, that's the interesting phenomenon. My mind is stronger than ever. And my body is saying, hey, Come on, this is 20 plus years. When when do we get a break? Right. What was the name of the swimmer? Forgive me. Who did the. Um, oh, she was a, a woman and she wasn't young and she did a, an impressive record breaking swim. I'm forgetting what it was. Um, I'm hoping you'll remember for me. Uh, it was oh, you're probably thinking, oh, you're thinking of Nyad, probably. Probably. What, what was that? Yeah. Well, she says she swam from Cuba to Key West. Yes, I believe it was. You don't think so? Yeah. 
Um, in the marathon world, I, I'm not going to pass judgment. I haven't seen the logs, but mm -hmm. uh, there are some discrepancies in the story. Okay. I'll just, yeah. just leave it at that. Because she was allegedly the first one to do it, right? Yes. Yeah, Susie Maroney did it in a shark cage um, some years prior. But a shark cage is illegal because it, um, it creates an artificial tide assist or, or okay. a draft. Like, 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 uh, like racing behind another car. You know. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, you know, while I completely understand being in a shark cage out there yeah. because it's kind of hammerhead alley. <laughs> um, but there again, Diana and I had followed a streamer underwater the whole time and did some other things that we don't do in the sport. Gotcha. And so is the controversy that she maybe took a break or um, what did they think she did to make it? Not I really don't know. It? I've I've stayed away from the controversy. OK. Fair enough. Um, so. It's interesting that there seems to be, um, you know, you talked about, you know, you and her, and her a lot of women. You know. Yes, yes. This tends to be a, a female dominated sport because women carry more body fat. OK. And again, we need that bit of body fat just as the insulation. It's also a source of calories because when you're in the water that many hours, you exhaust your carbohydrate stores. You right. pull every bit of carbohydrate out of your muscles. You deplete your liver those stores, and then you go to body fat. And that's an ugly transition sometimes when I'm swimming along and it happens around the five hour mark for me, between about five and six or seven hours. All at once, I have a bad 30 minutes. And all, I feel terrible and I can't figure out why and I'm starting to blame my conditioning. And then it kicks in, oh, wait a second, you're making the transition to body fat. And then I feel fine again. So then, so there's a 30 minute window where your body switches from carbs to body fat. And well, it depends. feel it. Yes. Or roughly 30 minutes. Yeah. And, and you feel yeah. it intensely. Well, all at once I did, I hit a new level of fatigue and I'm, I'm just not feeling crisp. I'm not feeling crisp in the water. I'm not really sure what's going on. I don't like to know how long I've been in the water. That's just a detail. I don't need to know. Just right. one arm in front of the other. Keep going. But sense. usually, usually I have some idea of how long I've been in. And also I can read the sun or the moon for that matter if it's all night. Right. So I know, I know. And I just, you just have to suck it up. It's one of the things in the sport. You have to have to have a lot of mind control in this sport. You know, that, um, that switching from carb to body fat, um, period of fatigue, you know, ketosis is a big thing right now. People, a lot of people are on uh -huh. a keto diet and a lot of people describe what they call a, a keto flu, right? Where, uh -huh. Yeah. You stop eating carbs and then you, you know, go to ketosis and you have this, you know, either a couple day to a week period where you feel really tired and groggy. And um, I think for a lot of people, it's like a sodium, you know, they need, you know, but also just the switch from, you know, feeding off carbohydrates to body fat. So it's interesting that you experience the same thing, but in a very concentrated sort yes. of way. Yes, it sure is. But uh, again, it's just it's getting your mind under control. And I, it it doesn't matter what aspect of life it is. I mean, I do that in marathon swimming. So I've learned how to do that. And I can shape it for swim calm. I can help students with that. I try and use those those tactics in other facets of life. Well, and plus, you know, you've, you've done it before. So, you know, that in 30 ish minutes or so, it's going to run out, you know, that you're going to be on the other side of it and life goes on. You know, so that's right. That, that's that's right. a big help as well. So. You know, how does someone, you know, back to swim calm, you know, when, when someone's in a swim calm class, you know, why do they learn the way they do? And why is it a better place for fearful students? Because 
I tell them, I feel, give them those thousand bits of information that nobody ever taught them. There's a whole lot to know about swimming before you simply put your face in the water and kick nicely and move your arms. There's a whole level of swimming or preparation that most students have never experienced, especially fearful, because an instructor hasn't known to teach them that or has glossed over it and never realized uh, just how important all those little bits of information are. It's really important, for example, when a student, when I finally get around to having them exhale underwater, which isn't the first or second class, but for example, um, it helps to tell them that when you exhale out of your nose, you're going to feel a little tickling sensation as those bubbles run up your face. There's nothing to worry about, but it will tickle a little bit, and it's a sensation that you have never experienced. They welcome that tiny little tidbit of information. Nobody ever thought to tell them that. And so they come up and they're laughing, saying, wow, I really did feel that. And I said, no, when you exhale through your mouth, it's going to be even more profound because your mouth is bigger than your nostrils. Right. So it's that kind of preparation and that attention to minute details and allowing that student time to process those details without rushing them through it or telling them, oh, you didn't do a very good job. You just need to come take the course again. Cut them a break. I mean, that makes a big difference. Uh, mm -hmm. what is, do you have another detail? Because that was really interesting. Pardon? Is there another detail that you like to, because I, I like that one actually, that was good. Yeah, it's a really, really good detail. Um, for example, when they are floating and uh, they're, they're just, they're antsy, what they're typically going to do is they're, if they're holding on to the gutter, you're going to watch their hands, you know, just dance above the gutter. And I call okay. that play, playing the piano. I was going to say that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I said, okay, now just be aware you're playing the piano a little bit. Why don't you give the keyboard a rest and allow, allow your hands to be very stationary. And if you feel like you need to grip more on the wall, that's fine. If you feel like you can go to a lesser grip, that's okay. And one other very, very important detail is I never fool my students. Never, ever. If I say I'm right next to you and my hand is going to be on your back, don't move away and say, see, I knew you could do it by yourself. You didn't need me. Be true to your word. And that's how you build that good foundation with a student. So why do people do the play the piano? What is that about? That's nerves. Okay. They haven't, they haven't built up the confidence yet. They haven't built up the trust in themselves. They haven't, they don't fully grasp the skill yet. They understand it in their minds, but their bodies are not quite ready to accept the skill yet. And they just need a little more time to work through that. And that's fine. Take, take all the time that that, that particular student needs eventually it will come but that's just one sign and i'm watching body language all the time and i'm watching facial expressions and and soliciting feedback from the student and they say yeah yeah i i felt good okay no you felt better but i stopped i saw you playing the piano a little bit yeah you did you caught me so it's a give and take but it's also experience it's the experience of teaching a lot and working with a lot of students over a lot of years yeah. So how many students do you typically teach in a year? It varies dramatically depending on pool availability. Um, I would say probably 20 to 25. And you'll say, well, okay. that's a really low number, but it, it's pretty concentrated yeah. just because I don't take more than three in a class. If I get that fourth or fifth student who want to come in, then I bring in a, an assistant because I, it's very important to keep that ratio very low. A, because you're dealing with a subset of adults 
with this fear. And there has to be a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention, but you know, they're paying for a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention too. So it pays to, to have that extra set of hands, just if nothing else to say to a student, I'm right next to you, I've got your back, literally. <laughs> and it seems like you definitely don't do anything halfway, which I, I, I'm i personally like that. I appreciate that. You know, you've done this, you do swimming. So, of course, you got to do the marathon swimming. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to play music, then clearly you're going to perform at the highest level in an orchestra. Um, right. If you have to pick an instrument, you're going to pick literally the hardest instrument alive, which is a harp. Um, it, it seems to be that uh, that seems to be a trend. Would you say that's something that's it's been a, your whole life? Yeah. Go big or go home. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah, you're right. That's how I've chosen to live. <laughs> and is there any reason you've decided to go that way? Is it built in or it's it's built in, mm -hmm. um, you know, currently I, I served three terms on Charleston City Council. I okay. just got off council in January and and, you know, it's finally time to stop beating my head on the wall. <laughs> so uh, it actually feels good sometimes when you stop beating your head on the wall. But <laughs> what a wonderful experience to help run a medium-sized city for 12 years and the skill set that that brought and how it it helped me with all these other facets of my life and currently I'm working with a, a consortium of partners to build a major aquatics facility locally oh, nice. we we don't have a quality aquatics facility and what where are you actually Charleston South Carolina okay and there's not really a, a nice aquatics facility in that area no, no, we've got we've got city pools and neighborhood pools, but nothing comprehensive and nothing that the area can truly, truly go to and is all encompassing with 100 percent of aquatics. It seems like the idea of the community pool is kind of faded from its heyday back in the, we'll say, 60s, maybe, where the pool was a place where people went. There was, you know, gathering around it. You know, you'd see people there. Uh, I was very social. Uh, it seems like people don't go to the pool like that anymore. Do you, you agree with that? Uh, yes and no. There are all of the subdivisions, you know, all of these planned subdivisions put right. in pools. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go to I think it depends on the nature of the subdivision and the demographics. In some cases, if it's a big pool with a lot of young families, yes, they're going to go to the pool all the time. Right. But, um, you know, it's just a question of getting these kids in and teaching them to swim. And, uh, you know, obviously it would be great to have me out of business in a generation and have no more fearful swimmers. But that's not going to happen. Um, so the, the neighborhood pool is a place to start. But when they come to me, then they can go back to that setting. And that's what's so nice. Forevermore, they can get in a pool comfortably, be it on a vacation, be it back in the subdivision pool. Um, it's, it's really nice to be able to hand somebody a chunk of life that they've never experienced before. Right. I mean, you know, so much of the world is water. So many of the things we do recreationally are in the water and someone who's scared of water, you know, is robbed of all of that. You know, even things close to it, you know, beaches, boats, right. you know, cruise ships, probably, you know, That's right. um, which, you know, would, would be a crime for me. I'm a giant cruise ship fan, so that would be terrible, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a big part of our world and it's it's hard not to be able to do it. That's right. It's astonishing, though, how you'll have a corporate executive who um, has to go on a dinner cruise. You know, is at a, a convention. There's a dinner cruise that night just happens to get sick a couple hours before the dinner cruise. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever reason, cannot get on that boat. 
because of a fear of water. I've had a lot of students who cannot cross a bridge, a high level bridge in a car because they just have this this thought process of the bridge collapsing and going on the water. The collapsing part doesn't phase them. It's going into the water. So it's astonishing the stories that are out there and what I hear from people. What age ranges do you typically see? Are they typically people who are a little bit older or? I see all ages. I will tell you my number one demographic is women, say, 35 to 65. Okay. And then okay. probably men, say, 45 to 65. Uh, why do you think that is that women 35 to 65? I think women women might have an easier time admitting that there's there's a fear there and it's something that they want to get past. Sure. Um, I have found actually men have been my hardest cases in some in a lot of respects, sometimes because they uh, they have a more dense body build. They don't carry the, the body fat that women do. So they have a little tougher time with some of the skills and they don't understand that it's perfectly fine if their feet are hanging on the bottom of the pool and they're they're at this sort of angle. Sure. It's OK, because we all expect to be perfectly up on the surface. And if you're not perfectly up on the surface, then you have failed. Right. And that's not the case at all. Right. As long as your but, mouth is out, essentially, you know. As long as, as you're okay there, it doesn't matter right. what you look like. As long as you're okay with the skill and in your mind, you are settled and you're not panicking. Um, Lori Kaufman just said that's her. She floats apparently at a, at a 45 like that. Yeah. yeah um, well, and that's perfectly normal. And it's perfectly typical. As a matter of fact, I can tell what kind of um, condition my legs are in right now. My legs are, are really in good shape and I float like this. If I start to float, I, I feel my legs sinking, sinking, sinking. Um, and then when I'm not in such good condition and I'm carrying a bit more body fat, I plane out. So it's really interesting. I can tell what my fitness level is by how I float. That's funny. So if someone does float at a 45 like that, you can almost take it as a compliment that that means that they're in a lot of cases, yeah. And yeah. even in even in deep water, and that's when it really freaks people out. They're not doing this in the deep water. Their their legs are going down, down, down. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, you do have two lungs that are filled with air. You're right. gonna you're gonna plane out at some point because we can float vertically as well. Most people think of floating on back, on your back, on your front, but you can also float vertically and you can also float on your side. You float on your side? Oh yeah. Yeah, have you ever just extended out and just hung out in the water, floated on your side? That's the basis of side stroke. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I've done... Okay. Uh, One of those thousand bits of information. Yeah, no, that's kind of cool. You know, I guess I you know, I can see it. I've never, never thought about it. You know, I've never thought about someone, you know, hanging on their side like I do in bed, you know. That's right. Uh, that's so right. I misunderstood uh, Lori. Lori. She's saying she doesn't float at all. That was <laughs> um but she's it's, coming to you and she will. So that's good. You know? oh, I can't wait to meet her. It's <laughs> going to be it's going to be wonderful. But most people float better than they think they do. I've yeah, had I all mean, sorts of students who have come in and said, oh, I, I can't float. I've never been able to float. I haven't floating in 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, for Lori and anybody else, you know, if, if, if I can do it in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy and I can't walk, if I can float and I can, then you know, literally anybody can. So that's right. It's really possible, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. So what, um, I mean, you talked a lot about applying the skills you learn through swimming and through the, the swim calm to other parts of your life. You know, do you have any examples of that? Well, getting this aquatic center done. I mean, yeah. you talk about an enormous, enormous task and it's just like a marathon swim. You've got to do things in the right order 
nibble away one tiny task a day and you're still making forward progress. That's why in a marathon swim, if I'm swimming down a river and I remember turning at the northern tip of Manhattan and starting to swim down the Hudson River, of course, the George Washington Bridge is there. Don't look at the bridge. It's not going to get closer for a long, long time. So don't make yourself a crazy person and think to the very end before you've addressed the next 10 strokes. That makes a lot of sense, you know, and if you can kind of keep your eye on the work and not on the the prize, we'll say you tend to do a lot better, you know. Right. The prize is there and the prize will come, but it's going to take time to get to the prize. Meanwhile, focus on the task at hand and you will see tangible progress. I mean, that's that's how I do these swims. Even, you know, if I'm swimming somewhere all night, of course, it's dark. It's dark all night, as as we know. So I'm swimming along. I don't. I don't count the hours and I don't, you know, pick my head up all the time looking for the first crack of, of dawn. It's, it's night. It's going to be dark for a long time. Let's enjoy the ride. Settle in, let your mind adapt and keep making forward progress. And you have to enjoy the process as well, right? If you don't mm-hmm. enjoy what you're doing, you know, uh, you'll never make it to the prize anyways, right? And you That's have to right. enjoy swimming to enjoy winning the race. Absolutely. I love to train. That's how I blew two rotator cuffs. I absolutely <laughs> love to train. I love to race. I love to get out and do the swims. I love to teach swim calm. And again, that involves on a very, very small level. It moves detail and moving forward one detail at a time. Um, yes, I would love to be able to fast forward to the end, but that's, you know, that's part of society. We're a very instant gratification based society anymore. And a lot of people have forgotten process. Yeah, I think anything you're going to do, you have to appreciate the process. And that's right. You know, whether it's a business or learning to play the harp, you know, it's, you know, everybody wants to be the rock star on stage. But if you don't enjoy practicing four hours a day, then, you know, that part never comes. You know? That's and right. I, and I think it's hard to teach somebody. Yes, it's very hard to teach someone. Um, but once they've gone through it, you know, with something like Swim Calm, I've watched students take those skills and then apply them elsewhere. Or they can take them, transfer them to work, or work sometimes transfers to Swim Calm, and we have to have to get that sorted out. But um, at any rate, it's just it's a great chance for students to back out of the normal seas of life, and and say, you know, I I have to learn I have to learn to to take a breath and I've got to do it by Tuesday, by Tuesday session. No, you don't. Right. And as a matter of fact, if you don't set the expectation, you'll probably be able to do it sooner than you think. But because you set that expectation and you made that, that tangible must do, you know, now you've, you've put unnecessary pressure on yourself. And, and arbitrary as well. Right. Well, you know, that's right. You know, why that's Tuesday, right. you know, you've just decided that. It could be yeah. Anything. You know? That's right. And that's how we're conditioned. I mean, that's the life that we live. And that's that's functioning in modern society where we have benchmarks and goals. And if we don't achieve them, the promotion doesn't come. The raise doesn't come. So it's a very hard mold to break out of. Absolutely. I would imagine that you probably have a really hard time um, having a job somewhere like working at a regular place. I can see that being a challenge for you. Um, only only because it is for me. So I I can imagine it's for you, you know? Well, I really have gravitated to this self-employed lifestyle. And I mean, I certainly work in a conventional setting over at the medical university. It's a very conventional setting where I have to put things on a timesheet and I'm responsible for being there from this hour to this hour, things like that. And I'm fine with that kind of 
that kind of work environment. Um, I don't think I would do well in the cubicle 40 hours a week. Yeah. So I've I've stayed away from that my whole life. It's been very unconventional. Uh, what kind of work do you do at the university? Teach swimming. Teach swimming? Same. I, okay. Yeah. You know, I take private clients and this is more in the traditional swimming. Okay. So, you know, I'll take a, a triathlete who just wants to refine a stroke and work with them on, on pure technique. And then I coach a little kids team. There's a, a youth youth club that's not serious swimming. We're pretty much working on strokes and doing the beginning of of interval training, things like that. But it's it's fun. And, you know, I enjoy it. And uh, kids just make me howl with some of the things they say. They are hilarious. So what is the youngest age uh, you will take for a swim club or recommend? Um, you know, probably a, a teenager. Some okay. You have to have the, the mindset, a, a degree of maturity, which you can understand and process the concepts that I'm trying to, to teach and then reinforce. So it takes that sort of maturity. Some people have it, you know, when they're 14, 15, others don't get it till they're 35. Right. And is there a particular hurdle that is, you know, the hardest for people around that age, you know, that you're looking for? Is there one idea in particular? No, no, no. It's funny because I'll find a different little snag with every student. Gotcha. Some student has a terrible time doing skill A and this student breeze through A. They get stuck on skill C, but the one who's stuck on A could do C with no problem. So I, I what I say is each student is like a little little present. I never know what I'm going to get. It comes wrapped up and I have to unwrap it and I have to take a peek and see what's going on, see what that present might be and then work with it. So every single one is different. And that's, again, the beauty of this teaching and this course is I get such a variety of people and it's fun. That is really cool. And what's the oldest person you've taught? Do you know, probably about 72, 74. Maybe. Yeah. Early 70s. Right. And she and, did really well. And, and what, what was her motivation? Why did she want to do it? Bucket list. Bucket list. Just to yeah. get it done. Yes. Uh, I, I figured it was either that or maybe like an you know, upcoming vacation or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. There, there are a lot of bucket listers and I'm really glad. I'm glad that they find me and I'm glad that they finally uh, muster the courage to at least inquire. That's one thing that I've seen. I have a lot of students who say, well, actually, I found you six months ago or a year ago, but I was too afraid to even contact you. How do most wow. people find out about you? Um, you know, Internet, basically social media. Mm -hmm. And then it's starting. There's starting to be a little bit of word of mouth. That's always a bonus, right? If someone refers yes. to you, that's, that's a good sign. So I that's imagine right. it's hard um, to refer you. I mean, it kind of you have to admit that you were scared of the water at one point. You know, um, there's probably a little bit of embarrassment involved, you know. Well, that's why it's usually a friend on friend or family right. member to family member. Yeah. You know, I have one one student, she took the course, did quite well. And in a couple of instances, actually, then they dragged their husbands in, made okay. them take the course too. <laughs> so, you know, uh, things uh, like that are fun. Yeah, a lot of people who are, I guess, with somebody, you know, who have a fear of the water also, you know, married to somebody with a fear of the water. Yes, yes. And in not all cases, is it this profound hang your head in shame fear? A lot of people will come and say, you know what, I'm fine in the shallow water, but I'm not going in that deep stuff. Goodness knows what's down there. Gotcha. And um, then usually we find out that it, they weren't quite as secure as they thought they were, even in the shallow. Or we go through the course and say, yeah, well, I've taken all these swimming lessons, but nobody ever taught me how to do this or that. 
I teach them all of that, and then we we head on down to the deep end. And there's and nothing I, like taking, taking a student down there for the first time and just getting on the other side of the safety rope and saying, you know what, let's just hang here for a minute. Just how'd your day go? Right. Hang it on the wall. Okay, you have no bottom under your feet. This is the first time in your life you've ever experienced that. We're not going to go any further. Tell me how your day went. And then all at once they say, you know what? I'm alive. I'm down here and I'm alive. This is pretty cool. You know, I know a lot of people who are scared of open water, the ocean, you know, yes. they're okay in a pool, but mm -hmm. you know, the idea of the ocean and the depth of it and, you know, things swimming underneath them uh, really gives them a hard time. You know? And that I can understand because there are a lot of really good pool swimmers who won't go out in the ocean. Right. So that's a whole different game. That's a whole different psychology. And that's not necessarily some of it's attached to swimming ability, but some of it is attached to just the goings on in the ocean. It's a completely different environment. It's much, much more uncontrolled. Absolutely. You know, there's well, not just the animals, the whole thing. It's a that's you know, yeah. it's a whole ordeal. You know, have you but, had any? Go ahead. I, I do tell them you actually float better in the ocean. You do. Salt water, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Have you had any, speaking of animals in the ocean, have you had any close calls with, I mean, you talked about, you know, Shark Alley from, uh, from Key West <laughs> to Cuba. Um, have you had any run-ins with anything uh, besides stingrays? I have, the only two things that I have never actually seen are a shark. But for all I know, with the places that I've been, they've probably been within 10 feet of me and I didn't know it. But <laughs> right. I have not actually seen a shark and I have not had the chance to swim with a whale. Which okay. I would love to swim with a whale. But everything else, yeah, I've run in everything else out there. Barracuda? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're fine. They're fine. Yeah. Um, they, they really, I mean, we're so much bigger. I mean, right. in, in a barracuda's eyes, we are the predator. Sure. You know, um, my, my mom used to do, um, not competitive, but high-end uh, scuba diving. She did mm -hmm. cave diving. She was in a group that would go and um, rescue uh, bodies of people who had uh, passed away in caves. Mm -hmm. And um, she was on a, I think it was a snorkeling trip or maybe a diving trip one time. And the folks on the boat decided it was a good idea to throw chum in the water to attract cave divers while they were, right. you know, to entertain themselves while they were off diving. So they, uh -huh. you know, they come to go back to their boat the other day and there's just schools of barracuda you know, around, around the boat. Wow. She's like, well, I don't think I'm going to get back over there anytime soon. This is, uh, right. you know, they might have right. to come to me or figure something out because uh, there's no way I'm going over there, you know? Yeah. So. You know, when you're out there in the open water, though, as long as you use some some degree of common sense, obviously don't go swimming through a school of barracuda. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, exercise common sense. And and, you know, I always um, say to myself, you know, I'm in their neighborhood. I'm the guest. So behave as you as a good guest would. Don't disrupt anything. Don't chum the water. Don't do silly things. Um, just swim, mind your own business, and they'll let you pass. Uh, of the marathons you've done, do you have a favorite? Well, um, I have favorites in ease. For example, the Strait of Gibraltar is an easy swim. It's only 11, 12 miles over Europe to Africa. Right. But it's so much fun because it's such an iconic swim. Right. Um, so and that probably, one was... It's probably kind of warm too, right? Um low 70 ish okay so it's on the warmer end but you know it's it's not bath water right but and that was a great swim because i was able to conduct the whole swim in spanish oh cool which was fun and so, my daughter went with me as my crew so, so, so 
Uh, I used to speak much better than I do now, but (laughs) but um, at any rate, so that, you know, that was great. The English Channel, obviously, it's the English Channel. And you can't help but think of, you know, the the, the tooth that you're swimming over as you're swimming. Um, And, you know, the most brutal swim that I ever did, which it has a special place in my heart because I was beaten up so badly, was the Molokai Channel between Molokai and uh, Oahu. Okay. Otherwise known as the Kauai Channel. I, that was, I was in the water just a few minutes shy of 21 hours to complete wow. that swim. And I was one mass of jellyfish stings. Um, the water conditions out there, the water is so big and so rough and mean um, because there's nothing breaking those waves from California to Japan. And um, being out there and riding up and down in those waves all day and watching my escort boat just tip and back and forth and back. I don't know how they didn't capsize. And then I had a kayak next to me. The boat had to stay away from me because in that situation, they could run you over very easily. So the boat had to stay, you know, 20, 25 yards off. And then a kayak stayed much closer to me, but you know, tough, tough conditions. And that was a good day. Um, And then, you know, just being stung all day long and, and watching that volcano all day, never get any closer. And again, don't pick your head up, put your head in the water and stop being a prairie dog and stop looking. But we swam all night, all day, and then into the second night before I finished. Wow. Is that a pretty standard time for that that run? Uh, there are no standard times in marathon swimming or, or it's a very loose because every swim has a different condition to it. It's okay. different wind conditions, tidal conditions, all sorts of things. So, um, while you can say, well, with the English Channel, the standard swim takes 12 to 16 hours. That's a benchmark. But if you're more than 16 or you're under 12, it's not necessarily that you're a super good or a super bad swimmer. It's what conditions were like that day. Your, your swimming speed certainly plays into it. But there are a lot of other factors that determine the day. That makes sense. I mean, you're never going to be able to recreate the same exact condition in an environment like that, you know, more than once for sure. That's right. You know, plus like you said, jellyfish and, you know, even the variables that you can't see probably, you know, that's yeah, that's exactly right. But I'll tell you, there have been times that I, like Molokai jellyfish just hugged me. He was cheering me on. I think that's what it was. <laughs> Do they actually stick to you uh, as you're going? On occasion, I have actually pulled tentacles off of me. Oh, that's and that fantastic. was one benefit of being a harpist and having calluses on my fingers. Yeah. I could actually grab a jellyfish tentacle and pull it off and not get stung again because oh. the callus was so thick on my finger that it could withstand the jellyfish barbs. So, I mean, you probably know better than most. How do you treat a jellyfish wound? Oh, I don't even bother because what happens is, you know, if I was stung in hour number eight and now it's, you know, hour number 18, when I finally get out, I can't remember where I was stung or the stings have been so numerous. um, I can't even remember. So you just take a Benadryl and go to bed. Gotcha. And I mean, so they're not there the next day bothering you? Oh, they are. They all pop out eventually (laughs) and it's, it's a miserable couple of days. It really is a miserable couple of days. Gotcha. So yeah, that's what I meant. I mean, the next day, is there anything to do about it? Or I mean, it's too late. You, you, yeah, you you know, the, all the, the little, those tiny, tiny little stingers that have been embedded in the skin, they've right. done their work. You just got to wait for it to push out. Yeah. Just wait for your body to take care of it. Oh, that's a bummer. Do you have it any is. other, besides it hurting, which it does, is there, is there any 
allergic reaction? Do you, is there nausea? Or? No, I'm, I'm very lucky that I do not have any allergic reaction to jellyfish stings. Some people do, right. but I'm, I'm really lucky I do not. It's a, it's a pain, and it's literally a pain and then an itch, but I don't react any, any more negatively than that. It, what, just a couple days? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've, no, I've ever been stung by jellyfish, thankfully. Um, not something I want to start doing either, but. Yeah, don't um, re- I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the right thing to do if you were on a beach and someone stung you? Do you know? Well, what I have always done, you know, if it's just a, a small sting and I'm swimming locally and I'm on my way home, I yeah. take some sort of kind of heavier tape. Well, scotch tape, masking tape, you could probably use duct tape and I apply it to the site of the sting and then pull the tape off. And then if you look, you can you can see some of the stingers that you've been able to pull out of your skin. Well, they're no longer releasing that stinging agent. So they've been removed. And what it does is it cuts down on the severity of the sting and the duration of the sting. And then we have all these anecdotal things with Adolph's meat tenderizer, you know, putting that on and supposedly some of the things in the in the tenderizer negate the the sting okay so whether or not that helps or not but the the tape thing does actually work because you're removing the thing that's causing the, the pain right the actual mechanical yeah that makes mm-hmm. sense I, i've never heard that that's good advice thank you if, if i ever am lucky enough to get stung i'll uh, find some tape yeah, just try not to it's it's really not worth yeah. it <laughs> that, that is not on my bucket list that is not something cool. I, I want to be doing you know, so, you know, how can folks find you if someone wants to get more information? Where should they go? Um, my website is obviously swimcalm.com. Okay. As I said, we're located in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm about to put out the listing of fall and winter courses. We've been delayed because we had some pool issues going on with the city and the potential closure of one of our pools for several months, which we certainly don't need, but that's out of my control. So swimcalm.com, they can schedule. How far in advance do they schedule? Do they fill it fast? Um, it depends. What I, yeah. what I typically do is I have two formats. I have a resident format, and those are evening classes because most people work fairly conventional hours. Sure. And what we'll do is we'll take two weeks, um, usually a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday in the evening, and then a Saturday morning, and then the next week repeat that schedule. So that's your eight sessions or your four sessions at two hours each session. Um, so that's one way. And that's that allows local residents here in Charleston to take the course. And then I have more condensed settings where they come in on a Tuesday and we run double sessions each day. They finish up on a Saturday morning. They can travel back home Saturday afternoon, have Sunday to sit back and absorb what just happened to them and go back to work on Monday. Gotcha. So if somebody wants to come from California to do this, that's kind of yes. the vacation method. That's right. That's right. And in some cases, you know, especially if it's a husband and wife or a couple of friends who want to come out, I will create a course for you. All I have to do is just go talk to the pool manager, try and make sure that things are clear. She pencils me in and and we go. So I've done that any number of times. Somebody has contacted me and said, I'm free in the October, November timeframe. What do you have available? And we create something. And I'm guessing there's no online version of this, right? It's something that has to be done in person, you know, with yes, somebody. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no virtual way to do this at all. Right. But it's worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if you have a lifelong fear of swimming, you know, a four-day trip to South Carolina doesn't seem like, you know, a big deal. So That's right. Well, I mean, and you're going to Charleston. 
So that's one of the right. cool places. I mean, that's the coolest place in South Carolina. Is it? I, I am yet to go there. I drove through it, but I've never actually hung out there. So. Oh, it's it's worth hanging out. I mean, the yeah. city itself is absolutely beautiful. We're a foodie town. I mean, you cannot get a bad meal in Charleston. And um, uh, just the amenities and the, the tourism possibilities. So usually my students wind up packing a day or two on one or both ends. So they, they have their their work which, of course, is taking the course, but they also have a little bit of downtime to uh, uh, take a look at the city. Yeah, I typically go places to eat. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's really all I care about when I get there is eating their food. Um, so if you say it's a good town for eating, that, that sounds like my cup of tea. great town for eating. <laughs> it, is, it is an awesome town for, for eating. Are you, are you from here originally? No, I'm from Pittsburgh. From Pittsburgh, okay. Yeah. I grew up uh, in western Pennsylvania. Nice. There was an NDPA conference in Pittsburgh a couple of yes. years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if you went to that, but. Uh, I was in the midst of recovering from the second rotator cuff surgery. Oh. I, I, at that point, I couldn't travel. Yeah. Um, it was at a hotel whose name has just jumped out of my head. That's really famous. Super cool place. Uh, maybe one of the coolest hotels I've ever been at. Oh, so William Penn. Yeah, it was a William Penn. Uh -huh. Awesome place. Yes. Um, yeah. Super cool. Old, you know, really old. We don't have anything like that in Florida. So you know, really neat place, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's the iconic old time hotel in Pittsburgh and it's been yeah. renovated very lovingly. And uh, what a great asset. It was, and it was a, a neat place to have the conference. You know, it really gave it a different kind of setting and, you know, but anyways, um, so swimcalm.com is the place to find you. Yes, and uh, I'm on Facebook as well. And on Facebook, and you said that's where most people find you, it seems like on social media. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it's kind of nice to know that people can travel to you, right? Because I was thinking, yes. you know, if you're outside, if you're outside of South Carolina, you're kind of out of luck. But, you know, if someone is in New Jersey, they can, you know, hop on a plane and, you know, be there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah ever, that's right. Ever, uh, is it possible to split it up? Could I do, a, you know, if I can't take four days off work, can I do a weekend and, you know. Uh, two consecutive weekends, something like yeah. that. Yes, yes, it is possible. I haven't done that, but there's no reason not to. And that's where I differ from a lot of other courses. I like to try and work with a student because, you know, people have adult lives. Adult, As a swim coach used to say, adult things happen to adults. So yeah. they can't necessarily get away. Now, the, the only downside is our pools in the city are closed on Sundays. Okay. So um, until we decide to join the 21st century. I need to get things done, you know, in that kind of format on a Friday, Friday, Saturday. Got it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything else you want to let people know before we wrap up? No, it's just it's been a pleasure. What an honor to finally meet you oh. and have a chance to talk with you. And uh, but I would say, you know, if if you are an adult and have some fear of the water, be it shallow water, deep water, all water then, you know, think about think about addressing that fear. What I will say is we don't teach people to manage fear. We go ahead and heal the fear, because if you had a chronic health condition, do you would you choose to manage that condition or would you choose to cure that condition if you have the chance? So we that's cure it, of course. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we do. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank and you. If there's anything you need, let me know and, and good Great. luck. And uh, maybe if I come up to South Carolina to eat, I will uh, I'll let you know. Oh, holler, holler. I'll come join you. Perfect. All right. Thanks, All right. Kathleen. Thank Have a good day, everyone.